Hey there, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners. It's Pooja. Anju. And Miranda. And we come to you with love and courage as two ABCDs and one fifth generation diasporic Indian to give you the what's what on what the fuck is happening in the homeland. I feel like we should... Explain what an ABCD is. I, I want to do it. I want to do it because I am one. <laughs> Americans born confused daisies. Yes. 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 American born confused daisies. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, so we don't know what we're talking about. I'm not American born, but. You know. Yet we are so riled up about what's going on in India right now. So some of you are like, there's something going on in India right now because you are under a rock or, or, or we get this. You're avoiding what's going on in India because it is so fucking depressing that you would rather watch kitten videos on the internet. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. No judgment here. I don't blame you. Yeah. There's also the fact that everything that's happening in this country is also a garbage fire and you can only watch one of those at a time. That's so, true. So, yeah. So, on the larger scheme of things, we have that what's happening in India, what's happening in America, all these worldwide protests that have been happening since summer of 2019 across the world against totalitarianism, economic disenfranchisement, voter suppression, misogyny everywhere, and the fight against the poor that's been happening worldwide. You can see it in South America, you can see it in Egypt, you can see it in Guyana, you can see it in all these regions. So India is one of many. Lebanon, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. The Sudan, again, you see it as one of many global, you know, movements that's happening. So it's hard to keep track. So we're here today to educate you on why this one is particularly dangerous. Yes. Well, for one, India is the largest, most populous democracy in the world. It is a country that is only 72 years old. We are tied, obviously. We're Indian uh, by blood. And we are related to people who are being affected by these global issues. So for those of you who are privileged enough to be able to say, oh, I just don't feel um, connected to any of these candidates, I'm not going to vote because you're not like, you're the last person who's going to be hurt by anything. I think we want to direct this at you because you can't claim to be empathic, you can't claim to be progressive, you can't claim to be anything you think you are if you're not thinking of the grand scheme of things, if you're not thinking about the uh, implications that these events have around the world. So what's happening in the U.S.? It's happening everywhere else, much worse. In fact, in fact, I would posit that what's happening in the U.S. is a result of what's happening everywhere else because the U.S. is the last domino to fall in this move towards right-wing totalitarianism. Look at where it's happened all over the world before. And, I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen, but I feel like America was the end game of all this. Make it fall, everywhere else will follow. I, I mean, think that's a perfect metaphor, the last domino. a worldwide phenomenon for whatever reason of these right-wing authoritarian government sort of coming into power and taking over and um, what, what's happening here is definitely a mirror of what is happening everywhere else and also so okay so what's happening here is a mirror we're talking about all these things what exactly did fucking happen in the motherland and why are we so hype well there's a protest going on right now isn't there there's been a protest going on since December 
basically the Indian legislative body passed an amendment, a bill to allow, basically to extend citizenship to immigrants, migrants coming from the neighboring countries that were fleeing persecution in those countries for every faith, explicitly every faith, but Muslims. So every other country, every other group of people who were experiencing persecution in their home countries who come to India can have an expedited path to citizenship, but not Muslims. So, okay, how the hell did we get there? The Indian constitution is specifically secular. What prompted this? Well, the argument is that the neighboring countries are mostly explicitly Muslim countries. And so the people who are experiencing those kinds of persecution are not Muslim. And people who are Muslim who are experiencing persecution, like, for example, the Rohingya, can go to one of those Muslim countries. They don't have to come to India. That's the argument. Mm. Okay. Before we get to the CAA and all these protests, these bloody and violent protests that have been happening because of the CA. Do not forget that there have always been protests against the BJP. There have been protests aside from what's been happening in December. There have been protests at least for six or seven months about what's happening in Kashmir and Jammu. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Protests about what's happening in Assam. We'll get to that in a little bit. And protests about what's been happening in Kerala. And, you know, and actually that's, I'll let y'all brag on that. That's been the last bastion or one of the last remaining bastions of take this fucking shit away from us. You know how a million years ago we were talking about a movie called Padmavati, which ended up becoming Padmavat. And, you know, I was drunk and you guys were talking about how the BJP was involved in that and death threats against the portrayal of a fictional character setting theaters on fire, um, death threats toward the director, death threats toward the actor and actress in it. Do you, you know, remember that? Do you remember that, listeners? It's been happening in, in, and these aren't even small moments. There were six-figure large groups protesting those things, BJP groups of people protesting the release of the movie, a fictional poem a movie based on a fictional poem if you missed that particular episode highly recommend that you go back and listen to it it's in season two that will give you controversial censorship of Padmavati yes so Um, it's been happening in little bits and and it caught our attention uh but even before that just little things with uh regarding the rise of Narendra Modi and his move from being head of Gujarat to prime minister of India so I want to talk about three other laws that were passed before the CAA that laid the groundwork for what's happening today. The first is, yes, the sedition law. India has a sedition law. Section 12A of the Indian Penal Code was the section that the imperialist prosecuted Gandhi under, just for context. So it was passed in when? 1870 by the british by the british and this law is still in india's books so how do how do they define sedition in this law whoever words either spoken or written or by signs or by visible representation or otherwise brings or attempts to bring into hatred or contempt or excites or attempts to excite dissatisfaction toward the government mm. Established law in India, okay? So you are punishable by imprisonment for life. A fine may be added, and not to exceed, not to be under three years, right? Your imprisonment. 
Okay. So this was most recently used against a Maripur student, a student activist, who posted something on social media about the citizenship bill before it became legislatively enacted. All right. Forty students of Aligarh Muslim University were arrested for raising anti-national slogans on campus. Four students of Kashmiri origin in Rajasthan were charged with sedition. This all happened within the last five or six years. The Ministry of Home Affairs is the office in charge of this law, and it stated 179 people were arrested for sedition, only two convictions between 2014 and 2016. The second law, the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, passed in 1958 by the Parliament of India, okay? Still Mm. within 10 years of being a new country. This gives the armed forces the power to maintain public order in, quote, disturbed areas. They have the authority to prohibit a gathering of five or more people, if you know anything about slavery laws in America. Or Hitler's Germany. Yes, right? In an... any area they can use force or even open fire after giving due warning if they feel a person is in contravention of the law can i just say most indian families are more than five people wow yeah exactly (laughs) so all of this is a bunch of vagaries the army can have reasonable suspicion they can feel threatened how about feeling like parallel in america is being a person of color and facing a police officer Right. That's the type of power they have in the law. All right. So according to the Disturbed Areas Special Courts Act of 1976, to be declared disturbed, the area has to maintain a status quo of minimum of three months. So if there's insurrection, the army can come in whether or not that that insurrection is manufactured or not. That's fucked up. Okay, And so the other act is the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act of 1967, and amendments passed in, guess when, 2019. Mm. All right. So this act is challenged in the Indian um, Supreme Court. Under this act, you can seize people's property. Okay. So the definition, under the amendments, the central government can designate an organization as a terrorist organization if it, one, commits or participates in Two, prepares for, three, promotes for, or otherwise involved in acts of terrorism. Who's defining what an act of terrorism is, right? If it's the courts, we're going to be waiting decades for a decision, right? So under this, the investigating agency can file charges a maximum of 180 days after the arrest, and the duration can be extended further if um, after they go to court, right? So an anti-terror act has a death penalty, and life imprisonment as maximum punishment. In 2014, now here's some stats about how this act has been used. Mm. Okay, in 2014, the National Crime Records Bureau reported 1,144 pending cases, of which 106 were tried and 33 completed. Of those 33, only nine people were, com- were convicted. 73% acquittal rate, okay, once it snakes through the court. In 2015, 1,200 pending cases, 76 trials, 11 convictions. 2017, 35% of the cases were recorded in Manipur, right? Um, And there were 330 cases in Manipur, 352 people arrested in Uttar Pradesh, 109 cases, Jammu and Kashmir, 156, 
Assam, 133, Bihar, 52. And the state registered 330 cases in 2017. Long story short, for those of you who are like, why can't Indians get their shit together? It's in the laws. Institutionalized. And it's institutionalized in the laws of a colonized nation (laughs) that people cannot rise up against their government. Modi and the BJP have been in power in India since 2014, which is when they first won election. And the first time that they ran and won, it was on a platform of economic reform. He was going to be the one who modernized India and brought, you know, business and whatever um, to India. That didn't really happen. All that's come of that is the Gates Foundation gave him an award for opening public toilets. And against the cries of everyone saying, please turn back on that. Please do not praise Modi for that. Right. So to be fair, he has actually done that. His government has done things that have improved the lives of poor rural people in parts of India. That has happened. What has also happened was demonetization, where they basically said, in four hours, all of your major currency is no longer going to be valid. Good luck. Which led to a major run of the banks and a total standstill in the economy for days mm-hmm. and tons of damage done. There's been other other policies as well that have been harmful to the economy. So when they were running for re-election last year, the talk was, well, they can't really say that they succeeded on their original platform. Surely they're going to lose. Well, what they did was they ratcheted up the hate speech. They stopped running on the economy and they started running on, this is a Hindu nation and it should be a Hindu nation and whatever. All the other minorities, specifically the Muslim minority, shouldn't be here. They're invaders. So some stats to back up with Andrew said. So this is something from the Bengal Guru-based Azim Premji University. It said job losses caused by demonetization was at 5 million between 2016 and 2018. Demonetization happened in November 2016. And so those workers are people who are paid in cash. Those are farm workers. And the year after that, they passed the goods and services tax, which then, okay, two-thirds of India's population work in farming. 80% of the people of that remaining one-third work in what's called the informal economy, a cash economy. So to put these things together, in my mind, because you have devastated the economy, these incels have so much time to go out and be vigilantes Mm-hmm. because they ain't got a nine to five and you can trace this back to the cow lynchings oh yeah that's been happening since the early 2000s what's cow lynchings Anju? the cows are sacred animals for hindus and again because it's a hindu nationalism they believe that it should be a hindu state a hindu government and therefore they ban the eating of beef or really any poultry any kind of animal meat but especially beef um for everybody um not just for hindus and so then they started attacking muslims it's predominantly muslim muslims in a lot of these states that and dalits and dalits Mm -hmm. who work in the meat industry and so we have these hindus who go and find these people and literally lynch them um in, in defense of cows to stop the meat industry as a protest against the meat industry. And if you put that together with all of the laws that Pooja was talking about, how we got to this place, you understand that there is no recourse for any of this action. 
so the other thing that's been happening is the ramp up of student um what is it penalization student oppression because obviously much like the rest of the world universities is where you know the alchemy for revolutions start right so you have all these students in all these different states i mentioned those that's you know that uapa law where they got people all major universities there not just students, academics, and also journalists. Basically, the people who are most likely to speak up against these kinds of abuses are the people who have been most cracked down upon. Hey, uh, this is really, can we take like a drinking break? Just two seconds. Yes. Everybody <laughs> take a swig. What's what's the opposite of cheers? Jeers. <laughs> cheers. 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 That's it. Yeah. All, right. All of that to say, last year, there was a re-election campaign, basically. And like I said, they BJP ratcheted up the hate speech. And what happened as a result of that? They won re-election in a freaking landslide in May. Um, so that means they basically got a mandate to do whatever the hell they want to do at this point. Because he's not going to challenge the people that are out there, A, supporting his point of view in the Hindu national estate, because we're going to have a lot of links in the show notes because we cannot get into this. But, you know, Modi oversaw Gujarat during that what slaughter oh yeah we're gonna talk about that so let's talk about that now Mm. modi was not allowed to travel to the u.s for a really long time he was considered a terrorist his visa was revoked his visa was revoked because he was the chief minister of the state of gujarat when the last large-scale communal violence broke out in gujarat basically a train was set on fire a bunch of people died Supposedly it was Muslims who set the fire, set the fire, and it was Hindus on the train. And then Hindus rampaged across the state for like weeks, and I think two thousand Muslims were killed. Two thousand people were killed, most of them Muslims, and lots of property damage and violence. A lot like what we are currently seeing in, in Delhi. And again, Modi was a chief minister. The um, and the accusation at the time was that the government did nothing, did jack shit to stop the violence. They just sat back and watched. Yes, and his reaction to these events is often, and this has been pointed out in uh, recent episodes of John Oliver, of Hassan Minaj, he's quiet. He has literally never apologized for all of the death that happened on his watch. Says nothing, and somehow the coverage he gets is never about that. He walked out of an interview about it when he was being held, you know, when his feet were held to the fire, he walked out of an interview about the murder of thousands of people or the, you know, the killing of a thousand people, thousands of people. And when he does have coverage, it's always about what his favorite fruit is, what his fashion is, or how he's friends with all these celebrities or this or that. This man is silent and it's, and, and his words can't be held against him because he says nothing. Does he still hold the record for the longest period to never have a press conference in your own country as a sitting head of state he's never had a press conference in india to be questioned these are all signs of authoritarianism Mm -hmm. all right so okay so what have we talked about we've talked about legislatively what happened sociologically what happened um politically so here we are um, the BJP has won re-election. Modi's been given a mandate. What's the next thing that happens? In August, they suspend an article of the Constitution, 370, which gave Kashmir um, self-determination and gave it a certain level of autonomy because there was an argument at the time that India was formed about whether it was going to be um, part of India or part of Pakistan, blah, blah. Anyway, they were essentially were given a special status that 
basically gave them the ability to rule themselves and also said that only Kashmiris could own property in Kashmir, that people couldn't just move in and buy property. And that was in order to protect them from Hindus just moving into this Muslim majority area and taking like changing the population demographics. Anju, are you saying the colonized have become the colonizers? Oh yeah. That's exactly what I'm the saying. The fuck? Foot soldiers for the colonizers because they're carrying out their bullshit. So but also don't forget, don't forget the UAPA Act that says they can seize property now. Right. So they suspended Article three seventy and passed UAPA. So what's going to happen now to the people of Kashmir? So first of all, Kashmir was already an occupied territory. The Indian military has been there. It's been like the most occupied, like the highest per capita military um, presence and, and like in the world for quite a long time. And that was before this happened. India sent even more soldiers in before they suspended the article. And of course, there was a communications blackout for months on end. I think they literally have just now gotten Internet access again. Um, and we had no idea what was happening there. And I believe the torture of citizens. Oh, yeah. There. I mean, again, we have no idea what was happening there, but the reports that were coming out from people who literally had to pass messages to people who were getting on planes and going out of Kashmir just to get the word out was that people were being rounded up, young men were being arrested and just disappearing, basically. They had no idea what was going on. So, like Colombia in the 80s. So, here's my deal. So, this evil shit's going down. You would think there would be some. Someone in power, someone with a platform, somebody popular speaking out against this, like a celebrity or a group of celebrities. Oh, no, you can't trust them. Okay. You cannot. Tell me more about that, Pooja. Okay, so I don't know how many of you are into old Bollywood, but if I say the name Hema Malini to you, you will know queen of the dance floor. Shook them hips, made my great-grandmother, you know, frown with chagrin. So... She is a member of the BJP in what state? Uttar Pradesh. Oh. Uttar Pradesh is where that that yogi with the guns. Yes. Is. Okay, what's his name? His name is Yogi Adityanath. Uh, yogi is, Adityanath. Yes. He's the he's he is basically the most militant and violent um, evoking member of the BJP and he was made the chief minister of Uttar Pradesh which has one of the largest Muslim populations in the country. Steve King is not as hateful as this man. Oh. But to finish out this thought on Bollywood, they even Shah Rukh Khan chills for Modi and Modi is out here killing Muslims. Well, not he doesn't get his hands dirty. He, his supporters are out here lynching Muslims and posting it on 4chan, on Reddit, on YouTube. Videos of violent crimes, okay, for entertainment and proof of clout, I guess. So you have these Bollywood people who are seeing this happen on both sides of the, on all sides of the religious spectrum, supporting this party and not making a stand because it benefits them. We talked about in a previous episode about how all these Bollywood films start off with like images of the goddesses and it has a prayer before it and how Hinduism has been entrenched in so many aspects of Indian culture to the erasure of other aspects of Indian culture. So it's not hard to see these people falling in line of what they know. Except... So many of them are actually Muslim, which is the part that is baffling. That, yeah. Baffling. Baffling. Like Shah Rukh Khan, 
Amir Khan. And so like Akshay Kumar is out here. He's about to probably go into politics, but he's been the most vocal in the last year doing interviews with Modi, praising him and things like that. And I'm like, and and now that I think about his filmography, he's always a soldier fighting for India in Kashmir, you know, shit like that. So he, you know, it's like when you look at Bollywood as a whole, it's not surprising that they fell in line with this nationalism. It's so crazy. Okay, so... Um, you're telling me people who don't have a like people who have these platforms to pull people and say hey let's this is not us this is not india this is not this does not represent who we are as a nation surely there is somebody in a more powerful position internationally that could do something about it like in america I, well, I know you're getting toward priyanka who has been silent on the subject but i am going to say that deepika padukone has been very vocal, actually. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, she sat in in um, protests. She visited. She There was a lot of things saying that she did it for the spin because she had a movie dropping that weekend, but she didn't have to go sit in the middle of violence after she just came off of death threats from Padmavad. Exactly. Yeah. With these students. I mean, she knew what she was getting herself into. She'd made that choice. I'm going to go back to the timeline. Okay, sorry. So we have the re-election happens in May. In August is when Kashmir gets shut down. And then in November, there was a major Supreme Court ruling. So the, I'm going to give you this context. It was about the Babri Masjid, which was a Muslim mosque that was centuries old that had been in Ayodhya um, that was torn down in 1992 by a Hindu mob, of which many of the members are current, like were BJP members, like actual BJP members were part of this mob that inside of this violence that went and tore down this ancient mosque because they say, and there is literally no archaeological or historical evidence to prove this, but they say that when the Mughals took over India, they tore down a pre-existing Hindu temple to Ram and built the Babri Masjid over it. So this was a symbol of colonialism that had to come down. So they tore down this mosque, which was obviously an affront to the Muslims and was illegal. Um, and since then, they have been, there's been a campaign to build a temple to Ram in that spot. So Ayodhya, if, you know, all the sacred Hindu texts or whatever are based in real places in India, which is why all these people are pulling from their religious conservatism to do these heinous acts of terrorism against non-Hindus. But Ayodhya is the birthplace of one of the Hindu gods, Ram. And Ram is the god that's celebrated during Diwali for for lighting the path of knowledge, you know, and escorting you out of darkness that's what ram symbolizes yet this act in his name whether you believe in that or not is like all acts of terror actually hypocritical to what you're espousing right mm-hmm. so the rss the what are, what is the rss the um rastriya swayam sevak sang okay swayam sevak is what I want to focus on here, because my understanding of that word means service for God, (laughs) Mm. holy service. And so they were the people that were out knocking on doors, in quote marks, listeners, for Modi for re-election. They are a bunch of quote-unquote volunteers, and they are a bunch of toxic men (laughs) who are out here committing these cow lynchings and vigilante justices because they don't have a job to do. 
right? And then they're also like, I think that feeds off of everything because Modi has ruined the economy and he doesn't want people to focus on that, right? Because he's attacking poor people. He allows the most vocal of his asinine supporters to go unchecked. Right. And if you're looking at the way India leads the way for, you know, how this would happen in America, that's something we need to be aware of now. And remember that name, RSS, for those of you who are not in the know, because we're going to talk about that later. A lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, so the Babri Masjid, 16th century mosque, torn down in 1992, which led to large-scale rioting across northern India, and like 2,000 people died as a result of it. And nobody was really ever held accountable. And now, then there was a Supreme Court case that they wanted to build a temple. So it was, a, it was a decision about whether the Hindu nationalists who tore down this mosque would be allowed to build a temple in that place as a further affront to the Muslims. And in November, the Supreme Court cat came back and said, yeah, that's cool. Um, they, they set aside a different set of property for the Muslims to build a mosque somewhere else, but essentially said, yeah, you can go ahead and build a temple to Ram in the place where you tore down this mosque. And for context, I know for a fact that this was celebrated by Hindus in America because there were people at my temple not realizing the history of what happened, but seeing the court decision that said, yes, you can build a temple here as being something to celebrate. I'm like, no, let's step four steps back and look at what this represents, right? It doesn't represent this this, you know, achievement of faith <laughs> at all. It's the exact opposite of that. Right. So, and people were worried that there that this announcement, like a, the day before, like the weeks before this, um, the sentence was finally announced, there was concern about which way it was going to fall and how people were going to react and if it was pro-Hindu, which it was going to be because the Supreme Court is fairly pro-BJP, that um, how the Muslims were going to react. And the Muslims did nothing because they were afraid of what the context was going to be. So we've got a Hindu nationalist government in power. That's been given basically a green light to do whatever the fuck they want. And their vigilante police force has also been given the green light to do whatever the fuck they want. Right. And then they take over Kashmir, and which is one attack on Muslims. And then they get the Barbie Masjid sentence passed down, which is another attack on Muslims. And then what happens next? The National Register of Citizens is a project that has been going on for a long time in Assam to determine, because Assam is a border state along the border of Bangladesh. And there have been, since partition, there's been a lot of people moving back and forth across that border from Bangladesh to India. And a lot of them were Hindus. Just want to point out, a lot of them were Hindus. But also, they were Muslims. So it's a, it's, it's a long backstory that into this I'm not going to get into. But basically, the, there was a local uprising in, in Assam in like the 70s or like the 80s, um, where they, they got the government, in their Gandhi's government, to agree that they would do a national register of citizens and they would decide who was an actual citizen or who was actually an Indian person and who was an illegal immigrant. And they've been working on this for a long time. They finally released the, that Senate, that, that their list on August 31st of 2019. So between Kashmir and before the Babri Masjid, they released this list that left like 2 point some million people that were left off the list who are not considered Indian, like actual Indian citizens. And to be clear, you have to prove your citizenship with records and documentation. And these are people who are poor and illiterate. And also, to be clear, India is, again, a country that is only 70 some years old and had, did not have good record keeping all no. that for a large portion of that. I mean, Miranda and I, our parents, my mother, my mom's name is Annie. 
And she lost the I in her name when she was a child because some teacher, like when she was getting registered into school, like dropped it from her name and she never got it back. Like that's how poor the record keeping is in India. So to tell, say poor illiterate people have to have documents to prove that they are Indian is ridiculous. It's like all the other policies. It's meant to target the poor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, ugh. That, that really is the one that does it in. And erasure is, I think, in terms of sociology. If you want to kill someone, treat them like they don't exist. Like, that is, that is a genocidal tactic. Miranda, you have been doing some reading on the Rohingya. Tell me again about, tell me about how the Rohingya were rendered stateless. Everything, Anju, that is going on right now in India, I feel like is deja vu with what happened in Myanmar with the Rohingya Muslims. So really weird to say still, a radical Buddhist. It's not even radical. It's the radicalization of an established sect of Buddhism, the Theravada Buddhists. Yes. And they, at the happening of Facebook providing internet in Myanmar were the instigators of hate speech against an entire group of people which caused genocide and the they're having to flee their villages there are whole maps um, on these articles about what happened where you can see gray spots of where villages have been moved where they've been burned down by these hate groups and a lot of them had to flee to Bangladesh. And it's really sad. You can even see satellite imagery of a healthy land, like a healthy ground versus a burned village. And it is very sad to see. And I feel like this is what's up just, we're on the verge of happening in India. I just want to say that they fled to Bangladesh. India refused to open its border to any of them. And... What state did we just talk about borders Bangladesh? Awesome. And if you look at the little tribunals that are popping up that the UN is looking at, it's happening a lot in that state because of what Andrew talked about, that cross-border movement between peoples. So the tribunals are basically how people get to prove once they've been left off the NRC. They have to go before the tribunal and bring their papers and prove that they are really Indian. Sorry, the plot of Harry Potter? Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and just like Harry Potter, who do you think are getting through the tribunals without paperwork? The pure-blooded Hindus! Well, so, <laughs> yes. so that brings us to the CAA because hey we've got all these two, 2 million people that were left off the register in Assam they're building detention centers I would like to point out to house those people um, some of whom the people actually building them are people who Muslims. themselves have been left off yes. the, the register and are like they're people who are building these detention centers who know that they're going to end up inside of one one day it's, it's ridiculous so all these people have been rendered stateless we don't know what's going to happen with them yet and then the Indian legislature puts forth this bill Oh, and the citizenship amendment. Everybody bill. chill. It's yeah. okay. So we're gonna strip citizenship from all these people who came here illegally from Bangladesh. But oh wait, if you're not Muslim, we're gonna go ahead and give you a fast track so you can become citizens again. So who gets disproportionately affected by this one-two punch? All Muslims. Right. Comparatively, the Uyghurs in China are also an ethnically Muslim group who are in detention camps. So you're seeing this anti-Muslim wave sweep through India institutionally. At least China is so locked down. Like you, again, just like Kashmir, you had to find out 
via spycraft what the hell right. was happening there. And Interestingly, isn't China also on the border of India? Oh, mm. man, poor Indonesia. Well, the weird thing about that is not... Well, yeah, you need spycraft to find out what's going on. But what we are finding out about what's going on in China is they are performing experiments on them and harvesting organs and shit. It's disgusting. So, um, okay, 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 okay. I'm going to take so, another swig of a drink. Hold on one second. One yes. Second. Mm. I need to make I'm going to need drink. to make another cheers. one. Yeah. I'm almost done. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Click. Cheers. Mm. Again, if you... It, we don't blame you for avoiding this, but... Please pay attention for at least this one hour. Um, so, like, I, this this makes me think of um, MIA. She made a comment to Beyonce, who created Lemonade to lift up black people, to bring to everyone's attention what's happening to black people, to empower black women. Great work of art. But MIA had to open her big mouth. <laughs> and MIA, is, keep in mind, she's... From, Sri Lankan. Yeah, she's Sri Lankan. She lived in Britain. And she is a product of a civil war. Yes. And so I get it, her not understanding the role of slavery in America and understanding America's history at all. But she is like, Beyonce, why don't you say Muslim lives matter? And it's like, Ugh, lady, you don't understand. But I do understand why she was like making that cry because Muslims are the most persecuted group on the planet. Yep the most persecuted in all countries in all countries it's more prevalent than the coronavirus <laughs> okay. uh, the time laugh stamp to keep when crying. we record this yeah. so so we've got the stripping of citizenship from people in assam again the national register of citizenship was literally a thing that was decided to do just for assam the state because they wanted it because they felt that there were all these people coming across the border so that that's been done we've got Millions of people being left off the register. And now we've got the CAA, which allows everybody but Muslims to be brought back in. And the next step, explicitly, I just want to say explicitly, Amit Shah, the home minister, the number two dude in the BJP, explicitly connected the CAA and this next step, which is that they want to roll the NRC out across the country. My God. And to be clear, it's not like the rest of the country is... I mean, there are other parts of the country that are on the border with Muslim countries. But not all of India is on the border with Muslim countries. And not all of India has the same history of mass migration back and forth. And even then, the fuckery. Right. Even then, the fuckery. Exactly. So when you already have 2.5 million people or whatever, what the exact number, I should know that, but I don't. I'm sorry. um, Left off the register in one state. Imagine what that is going to look like across a, a country of... A billion plus people with the second largest population of Muslims in the world. This is why we said earlier they were foot soldiering for the colonizers because when they split India, when they partitioned India 72 years ago, think about what happened to the people who were like, okay, I'm going to move to Pakistan because maybe it's better than, you know, coming off of occupation and a war. You know, you're coming off of occupation and a war. Maybe this area is better than what I know. Right. Right? Then you have people from what is now Pakistan coming back to the Indian part of the subcontinent. And when they got here, they're like, this ain't my jam. 
right? And so they went back and forth. So if you go back to partition, you can see the groundwork done by both the British and the Indian government to take away people's land in India who left and then came back. Right, and we haven't been explicit about this, but when the British left, when India won its independence, they drew the maps to give Pakistan, give Muslims their own country because that was something that the Muslims were advocating for. And they created what at the time was West Pakistan and East Pakistan, which is one country, but on opposite sides of a large body called India. Hmm. And then India as the secular nation. And they didn't pay attention to who was in these places. They just drew random fucking maps. And that left all kinds of people, groups of people stranded. So you have Hindus on in what became Pakistan and you have Muslims in what became, was India. And you have millions of people displaced and tons of violence in the aftermath of that as people moved back and forth. And then, and we will include a video in the show notes, or in our notes, um, where somebody talks about this. You have people who moved, Muslims, who moved to Pakistan and were excited about the prospect of living in a, in a Muslim country that w- where they would be safe, who weren't happy with what they found and wanted to come back. And then India found itself with a problem because they'd taken these people's property. What do we do with this now? Like, we, you can't come back. We're not going to give you your land and your property back because we're using it for other things now to house all the people, the Hindus that came from Pakistan or Hindus and Sikhs, I think. But also, so East and West Pakistan, then they go to war because West, East Pakistan wants to be independent because what, they, what connection do they have to these people? There were hundreds of you know, miles away or whatever and don't know anything about what their lives are. And India supported them. India fought to help Bangladesh get independent from Pakistan, mostly as a fuck you to Pakistan which succeeded. But that's why we had all this migration back and forth from Bangladesh into Assam and, and, and into Bengal, West Bengal, back and forth. And the Rohingya, I would like to point out, were also people who got fucked over by partition because right. they should probably have just been part of Bangladesh, which was right there on the border, but they got stranded in majority Buddhist Sri Lanka or Myanmar instead. Well, um... This is such a contravention of norms. I just can't get over the fact that the people in charge are people who don't honor the Constitution. And I'm talking about America, too, because India is a secular nation codified by the the GD Constitution. I'm so angry. I'm so angry. But why is that? It's because the people who are behind this, the RSS, has been in existence since before independence they were a they were a group of people who were opposed to the multicultural yes. search for independence yes they were pro hitler in fact oh yes they were they were inspired quite a bit by hitler by the purity of blood literally said that they were inspired by the way the germans treated the jews as a way to cleanse their population and remember rss because we're going to talk about that in a second. Question. Who, the person who assassinated Gandhi, BJP or RSS? Uh, RSS, I think. They were Hindu nationalists for sure. Yes. Yeah, so, right, what I was going to say is the reason they hate the Constitution is because they hate Gandhi, and Nehru, especially they hate not Nehru. They hate the founding fathers of India who created a secular India, and they never wanted that. They always believed that India was supposed to be a Hindu nation for Hindus and that everybody else didn't really belong there. This is like the Emancipation Proclamation in Jim Crow. Like there were things in place sociologically and locally that already disenfranchised Muslims. So that's why you saw migration all over the country for so long. They were already ethno-cleansing little areas. 
you know, to the toler- to the toler- different levels of tolerance across India. And this is this is why we drink. I think we should talk about the protests, right? Like, that's the next step. So we have the CAA get passed, and we they're talking about rolling out the NRC on a nationwide scale. And, I mean, people have had enough. Like, this is an attack on the Constitution. Like, it's it's not anti-secular, basically. So I can speak to one protest in particular that I'm proud of. Anju and I are Keralite Indians. What happened in Kerala? Can we just brag on Kerala? Let's brag about Please. being Keralite. Okay, I've felt rejected by Keralites for a large portion of my life, but now I'm just like, word. <laughs> I was telling the girls, like, I'm an American and a Texan, and I am used to being disappointed in my country, so I'm, let me be proud of Kerala. <laughs> because Kerala has fully rejected the BJP ideology. They were trying really hard to win at least one, if not two, seats in Kerala during the last year's election. They got zero um, and since the CAA passed, like the, the state government is basically like, we're not going to implement an NRC. We're not going to implement any of this shit. Fuck y'all. Fuck y'all. <laughs> They're the California of India. <laughs> they, they pretty much are. And, and <laughs> it's nice to see uh, my Indian relatives reposting things about the, um, the 7 million Hand. It was like the seven. Yeah, there was a. They did a, a human chain from the north part of. The, so this, the state of Kerala is a very long, slim strip along the coast of, the bottom coast of India. The toenail. So yeah, it's a very long, tiny strip from north to south, and they did human chain from the north part of it to the south part of it of like seven million people. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous um, to protest what, what's been going on. The CAA. It was. It was awesome. It was super inspiring. Um, there have been so much outspoken protest. So um, they had some national holiday that came up republic day i think where there's apparently a national thing where each state like puts forth a like a float essentially and there's a parade and the national government was just like no carol doesn't get to be a part of this anymore (laughs) for the second year in a row by the way you salty you (laughs) salty badge of honor badge (laughs) of honor also just recently speaking back to the laws that that uh was telling us about malayalam is a language that is spoken in kerala two malayalam language news networks were actually like banned for two days they had to like stop broadcasting for 48 hours because the federal government made them um because they were criticizing the rss and the governments but not even really the government i think it was just the rss which is not the government i would like to point out are we sure at this point i mean Mm. the bjp is in name the government it is the bjp it is the political face of the hindu nationalist movement it is obviously related to the RSS. Modi was a member of the RSS from like when he was a boy, along with Amit Shah. I love giving people parallels. So this is, for those of us who cannot wrap our head around anything other than U.S. politics mm. and the rubric of Western politics, what we're seeing here is the RSS is akin to white supremacists. Yes. Right? And the BJP is like the GOP in the sense that they are the face of that base. Correct. Okay, so there, that's the level setting. Yeah. And, okay, so I, th- I think we didn't really explain this very well, but I was trying to say earlier, the Congress party is the the primary op- opposition party to the BJP, and they, are the one, they were the party of Gandhi and Nehru, of the founding fathers of India as a country, and they essentially were in power for decades, for like through the 90s. They were, they were the power, maybe through the t- 2000s, were the party in power. And um, the BJP, like I said, we has its roots in the RSS, which is like the ancient enemy of Congress. Like these two movements were happening at the same time 
during Britain's control, and one of them wanted Hindu nationalists and hated Muslims from the beginning, and the other one was like, look, all Indians against the foreign invaders. Can, can this brown people Star Wars, like, end now? Because, no. like, it's just, this is this is very Campbellian, everything that's going on. It's Orwellian as well, mm-hmm. because let's talk about how propaganda works in India with the media. Here in America, we have things like Sinclair Media, which is a predominantly conservative Christian-owned organization, and they package news, you know, pa- they package news in digestible chunks uniformly across the markets they own. They own 80% of the local news stations around the country. Yes, and so... And mo- they... When they, Trump took office, one of the first things he did was actually implement a change at the FCC that would allow them to take over even more stations. Right. So imagine that in the world's largest democracy and knowing how fractious it has become now, right, and how diverse it, it used to be. Like harmonious diversity versus fractious tribalism is what the propaganda machine in India did. And how did they do that, Anju? How, what is the link between the media companies and the government in India? Well, first of all, almost all of the media companies in India are owned by a handful of people, like major corporations. So it's not hard to see how it would be very easy to silence dissent. And also, the government is the main advertiser for a majority of the media companies in the country. So that makes it very easy for them to make sure that only positive coverage comes out of those media companies. Right. And one of the things that a structure like that helps is when you're doing big public health campaigns, like promoting new toilets to stop the spread of communicable diseases, right? Things like that. But then you also have the control and the censorship, right? Because, hey, my big dollar donors, you know, I can give you power over the market if you do this for me. While we're on the topic of media consolidation and how they're afraid or won't confront the, the current Indian government, that Hassan Minhaj episode you're talking about didn't air in India. The John Oliver episode that happened last week didn't air in India. That's weird. Is it weird? No. Hmm. It's weird if you're just now coming to this topic. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I love that the follow-up episode of the Indian election, he calls her, in, like, Indian Nancy Grace. Oh, my God. That one. It's like CNN wrestling style arguing. Like, ugh. Never trust anybody who draws on a half-circle eyebrow. <laughs> a life motto. <laughs> We should all embrace. And she, I love how all she does is shout, get to the point. Like all she says that in, that's all she ever says in the episode. And when everybody's just like, blah, blah, blah. And even <laughs> the son was like, she invited me to argue with her on her show. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then he ends his like recap of the follow up with them arguing about Hassan Manaj, which I just thought was brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, that's what that's what they're consuming. And so it, I, I don't know what it is on a local level in India. I mean, but then you have you have how big is Bollywood and celebrity culture in India? Like, do you remember Coke and Pepsi Wars? Like that made it overseas. 
right? Yeah. And because it was such a big thing. Like who, Salman Khan was Pepsi or Coke and the other ones were the other one, you know? So you have people like that also playing into this BJP propaganda and in their projects and in they're allowing these storylines to be written and acted despite knowing you know what? I'm just going to say it. Despite knowing the violence that this shit would lead to, you have to be completely ignorant to not to not acknowledge that all of this leads to systemic violence. It's a pogrom. A pogrom? Pogrom. Yeah. I don't even know that I'm saying that right. I just recognized the word and said it after you said it. But um, yeah, it's either that or indifferent. The CAA passed in, uh, I believe, November of last year and the response to that was protest mostly it's been decentralized it's been mostly driven by students and by women which has been incredible and so inspiring and the government so it was students on campuses and the government's response was immediate crackdowns so um using these laws and also violence just straight up the cops shouldn't have been given entrance to the university, but they went in and they just beat the shit out of students in libraries, in hostels, um, with no evidence whatsoever. And just just to, to put into context how dangerous everything is at the moment, a lot of the footage that came out from those protests were either doctored or altered or what's called deep fakes, in the sense that there was footage that came out that showed quote, members of the quote-unquote opposition letting in protesters into the university campus, quote, people with masks on, people with weapons in their hand, people being violent. And it turns out that these people faked these videos, they're blurry, and or that was actually cover for members of the RSS to come in there and beat these students up, right? So you have these, like counter-terrorism things but it's all done by vigilantes right nothing is organized except the students and the people standing against this hatred so it was jamia milia islamia university in new delhi and that's where the police came in beat, beat the crap out of them then there was joel joel i can never say his name Nehru papa <laughs> abcd's over here we can do it do it do it your best do it give it your best shot joel halnal Nehru University um, in, in New Delhi, also in New Delhi, um, where, again, there were student protests. And here, the, the pro, the, it wasn't the cops that came in. It was the cops who just watched the gates and let a group of Hindu nationalist mobs go in and beat the shit out of the students. With masks on so that closed circuit security cameras couldn't identify them later. Right. So the videos coming out of this inspired protests all over the country. And that's what's been happening. And the BJP has frankly been shocked. They were not expecting this level of, of opposition from the populace over the CAA. And they were trying to use, for example, Bollywood. They were trying to get Bollywood actors to come help them like change the narrative and soften the thing soften things and it hasn't really worked out and there have been protests everywhere ha 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 colorism bit you in the ass in the end Bollywood (laughs) you don't include everybody and nobody's gonna listen to your goddamn filtered message and one of the most inspiring protests was the Shaheen Bagh protest which was led by Muslim women in this particular neighborhood Muslim neighborhood in Delhi who just put up a tent in this in this courtyard and just started like doing a sit-in day in and day out muslim women mind you taking shifts going home taking care of their their husbands and their kids and sending their kids off to school and then coming back again you i just don't i don't think people understand how dangerous 
that, that is. is. Yeah. Like I could cry thinking about their bravery right now. That is ridiculous. That is but wow. they they saw stre- and even their husbands supported this. Saw strength in their numbers and they were surrounded by by you know men protecting them basically but they're just, but but the men didn't protest the men were just there to watch and support i'm gonna cry too uh, yeah i'm i'm gonna pivot away a little bit to talk about within hinduism the the small protests that are being made against the the rampant conservatism that's leading to this hindu ethno-nationalist bullshit because we saw in 2019 there was there was this mandir this temple that only allows men in and women, they did a human chain again. That was in Kerala. Yeah. Kerala, what up? And they were just like, no, you don't, you, you cannot, we don't stand for this anymore. So all over India, you're seeing women putting their bodies in danger for what is right. Right? And, and these students, these young people putting their futures on the line because they're being, you see the pictures of the bloody, bloody protests of mobs beating individual people happening and the the BBC thank thank God for the BBC right mm-hmm. because they will get that coverage to the world and so you're seeing people students young people walk away being maimed injured dismembered for something they believe in and I'm not saying that we all have this you know have the I don't even have the body strength to stand up too long so it's like you know you see these people putting their literal lives on the line and for what India was promised to be the secular nation and I think what we're seeing is 72 years coming to a head right now because Modi started off as a volunteer in the BJP and RSS he was the person who drove a truck while candidates were on it giving speeches. That's how he started out. Yeah, and he talks very uh, endearingly about the RSS whenever he's in interviews talking about the RSS. It's it's, it's like it's like oh, when I was a boy, blah, 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 blah. They're incel training and camp. They yeah. present themselves in actually a way that um, Islamic terrorists often present themselves. They go into areas that are lacking resources and lacking services, and they provide those services. They present themselves as a civic you know, engagement group, basically. Question. Question. If you're listening and you knew nothing about this beforehand and you've reached this point of the podcast, question. Are you horrified enough yet? <laughs> What's enough? What's, what is, what <laughs> are you horrified? Yeah, because we're not even done talking about it. But I just want to say, are you horrified? Because now you may be paying attention. Maybe now you're paying attention. We haven't even gotten to what the fuck, why have we not heard an uproar about this in Western nations? Um, first of all, I would like to make a point of, by the way, these protests are not just coming from Muslims. Like, it's a Hindu nationalist organization, and the BJP and the nationalists really, really, really want to conflate Hinduism with what this this ideology, which is called Hindutva. Um, and they want to pretend these things are the same. Just like... Islamic jihadists want to pretend that they represent all of Islam when they don't. These Hindu nationalists want to pretend that they represent all of Hindus. But there are a lot of Hindus who are standing up against this and saying, no, this is not us. This does not represent us. This is not what Hinduism is. Which, to throw shade on our fellow Americans, we say this is not us all the time behind our keyboard. (laughs) You know? Right. (laughs) Fair. Hmm. But yeah, why haven't we heard... So, we talked earlier about how Modi wasn't allowed into the U.S., 
Because he had his visa revoked. For like, because he was like, you know, a terrorist or affiliated with a terrorist organization. For like two seconds, though. How did how did that change? I mean, for one, he got elected prime minister of India, which is an Indi- American ally. But, but what was the other thing that prompted that change? There is a large part of the Indian American diaspora that supports Modi and the Hindu nationalist objective. And they campaigned to get Modi's visa reinstated and they won. So, is this how we got Hindus for Trump? It is. Yeah. So, okay. Let me give you some stats here. (laughs) (laughs) Hindu Republicans, who are mostly behind Hindus for Trump, make up 13% of the Hindu American population. Okay? That's just the Hindu American population. And there's, what, uh, Indian Americans, Indian diaspora, well... No, not diaspora, not the other diaspora, not the colonial diasporas. Indian diaspora, 4 million Americans in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. However many of that is Hindu, 13% of that block are Republicans. And these are the fools who are our enemies because they are... St- mm. So, like, you know how we have, like, the Daisy Wall of Shame? I feel like there's a connection here. Yes. So, okay. So I bring up it's the Republicans because in 2016, Donald Trump appeared at the Republican Hindu Coalition, Humanity United Against Terrorism. What's that word called? Dog whistle? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it was to raise money specifically to counteract radical Islamic terrorism, particularly to protect the Hindus in Bangladesh and Kashmir. The Republican Hindu Coalition was raising money to protect Hindus in Kashmir and Bangladesh. They had this fundraiser that Trump showed up to a month before the 2016 election. What was one of the things we showed up for at the airport a month into his term? A month. It was like a week. Wasn't it, it was barely even that. It was the Muslim ban protest at DFW Airport, which also happened in major airports all across the U.S. Was that like episode two? <laughs> yeah, we wanted to record our pilot, and then we were like, "Oh fuck, we're leaving. We have to go protest now." Yes, and yeah. this just ugh, the fuckery. Okay, but I would also like to point out it's not. It's not just like these are Indian Republicans. There are Indian Democrats who are anti-Trump who also support Modi, who somehow don't see the cognitive dissonance in that, where I guess bigotry in our favor is cool, but bigotry against us is not good. Yeah, what is that? I feel like that connection is free enterprise. What is it that the BJP believes? Um, the pursuit of success, which is just capitalism, right? So you can understand why they're going up against the poor people, more room for capitalists. If you don't have many small farmers, you can set up big corporate farmers, blah, 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 right? Okay, so I have a question. What's preventing your success now, Sahib, right? What is preventing you from in America from being successful so much that you have to support the bullshit policies of the BJP? If you don't understand in this country your success is, is affected by structural racism, you are too stupid to continue. But what you are supporting are things like the protests we just described and these riots that are happening. And what is happening with these riots? Right. We have so much rage, we keep forgetting to talk about this in contact, like in order. Um, so protests, 
which led to riots. So y'all probably know that Trump went to go visit India uh, two weeks ago. And right around the time that he did that, there were elections happening in Delhi. And the BJP wanted to win. And so what did they do? They went to their usual playbook and they ratcheted up hate speech against Muslims. And to be clear, they lost a lot of seats. I mean, like they just lost in general. They only won like eight seats, I think, the entire city of New Delhi. But they won five of the eight seats in Northeast Delhi, which is where the riots happened because they were stoking hate speech. And it was about those protests, particularly the Shaheen Bagh protests, strangely enough, where they those women moved from the courtyard to the road to block a road because protests are meant to be uncomfortable. FYI. Yes, correct. They are supposed to make your lives difficult so you pay attention to what is happening. They went and blocked a road and a BJP minister or politician um, threatened, like issued an ultimatum to the police. If you don't clear out that protest, if you don't clear out that, that blockage of the road, we're going to do something about it. And that inspired a whole slew of violence. And there's arguments, there's people saying that a lot of the, the rioters actually were bussed over from Uttar Pradesh, which we talked about earlier. Um, which was right across the border from <coughs> Tiki Torch. Yes, this is 100% <laughs> Tiki Torch yeah, bullshit. Yeah, just like the Char- Charlottesville. People coming in from out, out of the city and stoking this violence. So people were bussed in from Uttar Pradesh into New Delhi, spent the night, and prepared to launch this violence that happened. Okay, okay. So for three days after that, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and into Wednesday, we just had rampaging violence across northeast Delhi of Hindu mobs Okay, so to be clear, 43 or 46 people, I forget what the number is, died in these, in these riots. And some of them were Muslims and some of them were Hindus. But the vast majority of the property violence was Muslim. So to be clear, we have people bust across. And, and, and locals said they saw people bust across from Uttar Pradesh into Delhi to see this, to do this. And it was also locals because obviously people coming in from Uttar Pradesh wouldn't know which shops belonged to Muslims and which houses belonged to Muslims. And they did that. But they were... There were mosques burned down. There were shops burned down. There were houses burned down. An 82-year-old woman was burned alive inside her house. Um, and there was people, houses broken into, people beaten, and lots of people died and were injured. Um, but there were shots, fi- there were lots of bullet wounds of people who went to the hospital. Like, just ridiculous violence for four days while the cops either did nothing or actively participated in in. The brutality against Muslims. And it's protected by the law, as Pooja mentioned earlier. Has India seen such rampant riots since the assassination of Indira Gandhi? Well, yeah, we just talked about the Babri Masjid, which happened in 1992. Okay. And then what happened in Gujarat in, I believe, 2002. Okay, so we're seeing a pattern here. Hmm. Okay, and after Gandhi was assassinated, what kind of riots happened since it was so close to partition? Muslim Hindu violence, right? Of course. So, and also, as we were talking, I, I think I remembered reading that what the assassin shouted out before shooting Gandhi was Jai Hind, right? Because among Hindus, it's, well, in my family at the very least, it was, it's really well known that Gandhi said the name of God before he got, died, right? He's like, Hai Ram, mm-hmm. right? Ram, Ayodhya, Babri Masjid. Um, so I just... This violence that the RSS has been perpetrating, couched as, you know, divisive political reactions throughout time, has again been building to what we have today, 
right? They've gone unchecked for so long or not even like seen as marginalized, not considered. So now that they have built up their numbers because of this rampant unemployment, people ain't got shit to do, but they want to feel seen. They want to feel heard that what is it in America? That dog whistle for the racists, it's economic anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? So now you see how that can happen in a, in a racially homogenous area but ethnically diverse right yes so we were talking about the hindu coalition we were talking about these hindus for trump we mentioned in a previous episode the california textbook lawsuits anju Mm -hmm. you mentioned those that were pro-hindu yep Hindu nationalists hindu nationalists we mentioned the gates foundation awarding modi for toilets there's a catchy song they made (laughs) they did they made a really catchy song that's on the john oliver episode we'll link to but uh that that brings us to our being stupefied that people still like tulsi fucking gabbard thank you can you can we okay you know i'm I'm just gonna say this right now if you want to look foolish Make a tweet about why don't they let Tulsi talk in the debates? If you want to look really fucking stupid and really ignorant of what's going on in the world, say that. No, if you want to look really stupid and really ignorant in the world, talk about Tulsi Gabbard being a leftist, which she is not. Wow. No, no, absolutely No, she not. supports authoritarians. Uh, her entire political career has been funded by RSS affiliated groups in the u.s oh my gosh you guys remember when i said remember rss for later in the episode <laughs> do you guys remember that remember 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 so yeah so that's how they're infiltrating america they're funding um and it's a two-way street right so hindus in america are funding rss efforts back home and vice versa right here's the heart here's our playbook here's how you do this and I want to talk about Hindus for Trump. I want to drag them one more time. Go for it. Okay, so pretend I've laid a ground full of glass, okay? <laughs> Broken glass. And I've put salt on the tips of all this glass. And lemon juice. And lemon juice. And I also, at, at, for, for, the, for the, the glass closest to me, hot sauce. <laughs> okay? I'm going to drag these motherfuckers real quick. <laughs> Through this field of broken, salted, lemony grass. With hot sauce. And with hot sauce. Whenever you eat Thai food and ask for lemongrass, think about this. <laughs> you motherfuckers held a rally that said, Trump for faster visas. In October 2016, you RSS H1B having loving motherfuckers. You did this. You did this. And what has Trump done to H-1B visas? <laughs> Yesterday, the Department of Justice said it will be taking DNA, genetic fingerprinting of all immigrants held in detention going forward. He has also, the ICE, the, that SS of America, ICE, set up a fake fucking university 
to entrap H-1B visa people who want to stay in America longer. What has Trump done for your visas, you little culos? What They've the also fuck? attacked the whole H-1B visa program to exactly. try and cut yes. back. And what have they done when members of our community, like the old uncle in Colorado who got beaten to death for being Sikh, in a white community what have they done for you motherfuckers let me ask you this plainly what the fuck have they done for you sahib auntie this bullshit has to stop you are perpetrating violence here and there you think this won't spill over in our communities here what kind of naivety do you possess that you don't think anti-Muslim rhetoric already so rampant in America is not going to spill over to our aunties and uncles what kind I know. Of, what kind of naivety do you possess that you think white people can tell the difference between Hindus and Muslims? <laughs> I know, 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 I know. I'm raising my hand. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, being a model minority, post civil rights movement. I don't see race. Oh my god, we are post racial since Obama. We're like so safe and shit. But like, again, I want to be real clear. This is not just Republicans for Trump. No, no this oh, is 100%. Hindus. Hindus for Trump. It's Hindu nationalists for Trump. Yes. Yeah, so you can be as liberal as they come in America, wanting civil rights, but you can feel the propagation. Finally, the propagation of my faith. And that's how they get you in these organizations in America, right? So there's this Hindu coalition, the people also behind the textbook thing, that they put out all these programs and they sponsor all these speaker series and they do all these things trying to network all the mandirs and temples in America. And so the Hindu coalition, I think, is what they're called. Hindu American coalition or American Hindu coalition, something like that. Foundation. Foundation. Yes, them. The Hindu Amer- the American Hindu Foundation. Oh. They're not worth remembering their formal title. Whatever. Oh, no, no. It's important to know who your enemies are. We do need to know who our enemies are, but we don't need to be like all that formal. If you see the word Hindu American Foundation in any order, (laughs) I need you to interrogate We don't call Tommy Lauren Tommy Lauren. We call her Tabitha Laryngitis. It's close enough. Yes. It's close enough. Yes. So So that group, they like... I, and I hate to say this, they, like missionaries of the past, have these programs and things that seem inclusive and building a faith community, a nationwide faith community. But also, if you buy into that, you have now bought into a nationwide propaganda arm, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, if you are a struggling mandir or a smaller community and you want to feel connected to the whole Yes, I'm going to take advantage of these programs and speakers if they're going to come for free. Yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I want to connect my youth to these youths. But what are the programs? Yes, they're, they're how they subtly get you aunties and uncles who have a good heart is they're promoting culture and they're promoting unity. But look at who they're excluding at, for that. Look yeah. at what the messaging is. That's how they get you in America. So when Anju's talking about it's both sides of the political spectrum, that's how they get you. Yeah, and then you make stupid fucking posts about why can't they let Tulsi in the debate? Because you know what my favorite women have been like? There are no women left in the Democratic race. Oh, my God. <laughs> the dragging of Tulsi Gabbard has given me life. Like that... Uh, Russian plant ass Kamala the, every, the media everybody's just like there are no women left in this race that's a damn shame <laughs> there's uh, a sentient being yeah <laughs> 
Is she sentient? I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think she's a soulless brick. I mean, she voted present for the impeachment hearing. So. Yeah, she can she can eat a bag of dicks. And- um, while we're talking about Hindu nationalists in, in America, we would be remiss if we forgot to mention Howdy Modi. Mm. First of all, as a Texan, ew. As a Texan, the fact that this appropriated howdy <laughs> is upsetting and the fact that it happened in fucking houston the most diverse city in america fuck you new york the my most- mer- my birthplace yeah uh, oh i didn't know that oh now we do glad you moved More you um, <laughs> so but houston is the most diverse city in america and and for this to happen there in in such a hit just a well hindu populist part of texas and the fact that there were so many normal normal looking people there were a lot of bernie people there too you know talking about um modi and his policies but how much of it was just the indian prime minister is speaking in my town and i want to be witness to history and even then don't show up for that shit and how many of it was that if they gave me a red hat i'd wear it because as Miranda said, model minority adjacency to whiteness. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right? How? I, I don't know. I just want to bring up Riz. We're now uh, headed toward our third drink. But here, look, we're, gonna, we're about to talk about where we go from here. But um, all things are perfect. Ti- this, this is just a bunch of perfect timing. The timing of this message, the timing of this episode. This morning, I saw a tweet that I shared with Anju and Pooja. And it was one of those save for later moments. But who dug in head, hands, and feet first? Pooja, tell us more. I have no life is why. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Riz Ahmed, formerly Riz MC, just dropped a new album. So, you know, you guys know he's British and he's Pakistani. And so he's a British Pakistani. And he's also in Star Wars and Superfine. And so, anyway, mm-hmm. um, that is Rogue cut, One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, one of the best. Is he getting us spin off to cut all of this? Anyway, so <laughs> Riz, Riz Ahmed. Form- I won't. <laughs> Riz Ahmed, formerly Riz MC, dropped an album literally last night, right? And it's all about the breakup. It's called, the album is called The Long Goodbye. And it's all about the breakup with, between him and England or Britain. Right, and the very first song is called "The Breakup Shikwa," and it really—he is breaking up with Britain as an Indian, right? So he goes through how they occupied us, how they partitioned us, and then how they didn't accept the immigrants. Like the metaphor is here, and now you wanted us to fight in your war, and now that it comes to this your anti-Muslim stance, right? It's a beautiful spoken word poetry with a lovely Indian instruments behind it. But it is, mm-hmm. so I've, the three of us together rarely not speak. <laughs> I'm sure that shocks you. That, yeah, not that shocks by now, you. I should not shock you. But I mean, I had it playing when they walked in today to record this episode and the metaphors and the imagery is just so much about being torn apart. And I think that is particularly cogent now. And Be- abused. And abused. And so when we talked about, Miranda said it at the top, when you're carrying on the programs that the colonials left, the colonizers left 
in their place, this is what the output is. This is what the outcome is, right? You become the colonizer, but you're not colonizing anything. You become the authoritarian. I want to read this one little lyric uh, talking about his poetry. There she... Then she had beef with some German next man. I went to war for her twice and lost my left hand. I asked her to leave, protest peacefully. I'll be the best man. Model minority. She got violent, ran off in the end because she was stressed out. And then she went, took a knife out from the bedstand, carved a scar down my middle just to leave me stretched out. The partition. I survived her attempt to dead man, but the bleeding never ends man. See my cashmere jumpers, still stained red man. Damn. <sighs> all the awards, all the awards to Riz Ahmed. Oh my God. That you was, and Hassan fight. Yeah, you got, oh my God. I was just like, I, I think just stared wide-eyed at you, Pooja, when I heard uh, I cried those the first lyrics. time I heard that. I was just like, damn. Everything we feel all in one track. And art is power. Yeah, art is power. No, for real. For real. And so, you know, in that same track, he says, this will either be the end of me or the wake up. Britannia breaking up with me, this is the breakup. And I was like, snaps. Okay. And that's the spirit with which I'd like us to transition to our final thoughts. Where do we go from here? So if you didn't know what was going on beforehand and you heard everything we've said thus far and you answered the first question, are you horrified? And the answer was yes. Where do we go from here? So the simplest thing that you can do is to stay informed. And then the second more... And share that information. Exactly. Yes. And, this, but, and the second more difficult thing to do is challenge those around you who aren't operating under full facts. So it's like strategies to combat fake news or what needs to be employed here, I think, if you want to talk about what you want to do. So it's stay informed. So then you have to interrogate, what are my trusted news sources? Is it Hindus the Hindustan? Is it India Today? Is it no. Quartz? Is it the BBC? Is it The Guardian? What's your, what do you trust, Andrew? Where do you get your news? Um, I feel like the BBC and The Guardian are both pretty good choice sources. Um, I have been following an Indian paper called Scroll.India, which seems pretty unbiased, and I really like it. I also follow on Twitter um, Rana Ayub, who is a Muslim Indian journalist who has been extremely vocal. Um, she's been um, featured, I think, in, in the New York Times. Um, and she's she's definitely a good follow. Also, Audrey Trushke, who is a professor and a white <laughs> American professor at um, at Rutgers who teaches South Asian history, um, who's also a pretty good follow, who talks a lot about what's going on there with the Hindu nationalists and also gets quite a lot of vitriol um, on Twitter. Of course. Of course. But we'll have all of those handles available to you in the show notes. Absolutely. What prominent Indian American should you follow for news? Oh, right. Talking about Indian American politicians, Pramila Jayapal has been great about calling this shit out. So much so that um, the Indian she was in a congressional meeting with the Indian delegates and they refused to meet with her. They refused to let her be in the meeting. Sounds weak. What what can you do as an individual if you are so embarrassed, if you're so angry, if you're so sad? What can you do? Well, spread awareness. 
signal boost signal boost signal boost especially make sure your government knows that this is something you care about because let's be honest the world knows what is happening in india but the western world cannot be bothered to care and i mean india is like their one major real ally in that area and they don't want to piss them off but like we have the un in order to prevent genocides like let's do something about this let's pay attention and for us by us mentality Right. So holding people accountable is important. Knowing, um, you know, who you who the allies are in this situation, but also for us bias. You start the protest. You start the petition. You um, engage with the local brown person running for office in your area. They're going to be affected by this if they want to ascend, especially if they want to ascend to a national office, like a congressional office or a Senate office. And, you know, if we ever get that interview with Shri Preston Kulkarni. <laughs> Shri Preston. It's one of the, because he was in the diplomatic corps. He was with the State Department. So what, knowing what you know, what do you think needs to happen, America? <laughs> you know, Indian Americans. And the, the, the easiest thing to do is counteract the propaganda. Right. Just be careful about the news you're consuming. Be careful when you yes. run into, like, we've, we've made it very clear. There are lots of Indian people in the diaspora here who support this shit. So be careful about who you're talking to and the information that you're consuming. Right. And, and the other thing is, what is your baseline tolerance level? Is it, I do believe Muslim people should be killed for, for their faith. Or is it not? Like, this is a binary choice. (laughs) Yes. This is not, there's not murkiness around it. Right. And and the Hindu nationalists want to make it sound like it's, that they're fighting for their survival. I want to be real clear. Hindus make up like a 75% majority of the population in India. They are not remotely in danger here. They are the ones who hold all the power. And they're the ones who are creating the danger. So They are the one perpetrating the violence. Mm -hmm. This is not self-defense. And again, it is not about religion. It is about a violent political ideology. And I mean, to close out, we talked a lot about, we brought in a lot of parallels to the American experience throughout this discussion about what's happening in India. So the same energy you have (laughs) to keep up for fighting against authoritarianism, dictators you know religious freedoms or just freedom in general you can do two things at once right and i think what we're saying here at least what i'm thinking i want to say well what i am saying is that i feel that we have some responsibility to ensure that we don't stand on the side of hate regardless of whether or not you identify as an american we have roots and even if it's just in passing, you know, my family's Caribbean. You want to know what we talked about last night at my sister's shout out, Davy, her birthday dinner was what Modi is doing in India. Right. And it's in the WhatsApp groups and name that Indian person's WhatsApp family WhatsApp group. It's, it's all over the place. If you answered the question, are you horrified? And the answer was yes. And then if you are wondering what it is that you can do, we just told you now it's time to do something. And for all you Hindus out there, if you are truly a Hindu, you believe, and I've said it at least 1,800 times in the last three seasons, you believe in ahimsa, which is the, the ideology of do no harm to living creatures. How the fuck, how the fuck are you justifying 
these actions, whether or not it be agreeing with it tacitly or participating in it yourself? How do you justify that basic tenet of any faith, do no harm, and then throw a brick at another human being? How do cows deserve more defense than human beings? Yeah, well, we could go on, we could go on, but we just want to leave you with that. Um, You have the power to do something and we are trying to urge you to do it and if you're still on the fence of does this matter to me or not it's going to affect somebody you know i guarantee it it's going to affect someone you know who is either your family over in india or who is a you know a friend or family member of yours who has family over in india this doesn't stop at muslims you are kidding yourself if you think it does and to brush off the limited hindi i know <laughs> may we win and they lose may the right of humanity win and the plight of destruction lose i cannot i cannot stress how we are tempering our anger right now i cannot stress how this has affected us deeply psychologically and it would only only perpetuate generational trauma if we don't do something now so with that we'd like to say thank you for listening the entire season to the entire season but good god this whole episode in itself thank you for listening this has been miranda anju and Pooja with the jilted indian podcast go with love and courage thanks for listening